You've already met Catherine, our intern. Uh, she's fantastic. If you haven't met her, she would love to spend time with you. Uh, same is true of me, but the fantastic part's not quite true, but I love to spend time with you. I need to introduce you to Callie as well. Callie Miller over here on my right, your left, is our full-time female staff member. We are here to know you and serve you and help you in any way we can. So, yeah, there you go. We're, we're at your disposal. Um, Thanks for coming tonight. A lot of things going on, a lot of things you could be doing. We uh, moved our regular large group from Thursday tonight to get away from this giant big bonfire over there and like all the screaming on the steps for the pep rally. And now there's a big party over there instead. So it seems we can't escape what Pitt's doing and that's okay. But thanks for coming. Uh, normally at this point when I stand up to talk, I would give some perhaps brief explanation for, for why we're talking about the Bible and, uh, and why I'm going to teach from it. But tonight the passage we're going to look at in Luke 1 does that on its own. I don't really need to say anything. So I'm just going to read uh, these first four verses from uh, the account of Luke. Feel free to follow along up there. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught." So uh, today some of us were out tabling, trying to convince people they really did want the things they really wanted. It's okay to like Capri Suns and Frappuccinos. We're trying to give them for you for free. What do I have to do? You have to drink them. And um, uh, it seems like in some ways the people we helped the most were the people that were lost. There were a number of people that were a little insecure about their way and they would come up and say, Hey, do you know where, do you know where uh, Chevron is? And we'd say, oh, you can't see it from here. And, uh, and what do they want when they ask that? Do they want Chevron? Like, it's right here. Who's Chevron? No, they want you to, they want you to give them a, a, a map, an explanation, directions, a guide. And uh, some people here are really good at that. And what, what Luke is doing here in the first four verses is saying, I have a map for you. I have a reliable map for you. There are people who have gone ahead of me, eyewitnesses from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and life, that have recorded faithfully what he did and passed them on to me. And I have done my own thorough research, which he says in verse 3. I've looked into these things. I've made a compilation. And I am offering you here in this text a map. Uh, it's, it's the longest map in the New Testament, actually. It's the, the, the longest book. And he's saying what I'm offering you is a reliable, truthful, historical account of the life and death and ministry of Jesus. Now, uh, the question is, where does this map lead? And in verse 4, Luke tells his reader, Theophilus, whoever this guy is, and the rest of us who are listening in, where this map leads. And he hopes it leads to knowledge. Verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Luke is saying, to back it all up, I've written all this. I've compiled everything we know about Jesus that we know is true so you can be absolutely certain that this is true so you can know who God is, what He's like, and what He thinks of you. And that kind of certainty is really hard to come by anywhere in life. Uh, it, it, certainty is pretty easy to fake, but really hard to maintain. 
Uh, today I sort of tried to post in a very little encouraging first day of school Facebook thing. I'm not so good at encouragement. And uh, and somebody in the room replied with this Will Smith, uh, Chris Gardner meme where he's crying and it says, please help. That's their response <laughs> to the first day. That made me start thinking about that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, which is a fantastic movie. And uh, there's a scene there where uh, Will Smith, who's playing Chris Gardner, is he's he's an intern in this giant company, and uh, he's getting paid nothing, and he's competing against all these other people. And there's a guy up front, like me, telling all the interns, "Hey, there's an exam coming up." And uh, last year we had an ex- we had an intern score 96.4 on the exam, and he didn't get the job. It's not a simple pass fail, gentlemen. We're using everything at our disposal to weed you out. We want the very best. So make sure, get a hundred. And what he's saying there is if you want to be certain, if you want to be certain you're going to make it, that you belong, then be perfect. And uh, so Chris is the second guy to finish the exam. And as he walks out, he walks into the elevator, and the first guy, who we'll call Captain Certainty, uh, was standing in the elevator. We don't really know his name. It's just this really well-polished, self-assured guy. And, and this guy turns to, to Chris and says, uh, Did you finish? Or do you have to go somewhere? Uh, doesn't think very highly of Chris's acumen. And, uh, and Chris responds, uh, Oh, I have to go somewhere. But I did finish, too. And then Chris continues the conversation. Hey, uh, what did you think about the graphs? Captain Certainty said, oh, they were easy. And then Chris says, well, I really struggled with the essay. What did you write for the essay? And Captain Certainty says, essay. What essay? The essay on the back. And And all of a sudden, Captain Certainty freaks out and runs off the elevator. There was no essay. Um, but even the most confident, most assured of individuals are often not certain. Our certainty is easily threatened. And I don't want to, I don't want to make you anxious on the first day of school. Oh, this is what I do. Um, but throughout this year, you may not know who your friends are or if they're any good for you. Or if you do, they may be leaving soon. That's what happens in college. Your friends leave. They graduate. Uh, You may not be sure what you want to do and study. And if you do, you may not be sure you can cut it. Or you may be sure, you think, but you're not actually sure you like it. Uh, At times, you may wonder if anyone notices you, how special you are, how good you are, or even how hurting you are. You may wonder, does anyone care? And what Luke wants to say is he's not trying to answer all these things, but he's answering a big question that I think provides an umbrella over all this is you can know for sure who God is, what he's like, and what he thinks of you. And uh, some of you are thinking, well, that's easy. I already know what God thinks of me. And uh, what I want to warn you about is as the busyness increases, as the anxiety increases, as some of you make decisions and do things you never thought you would do before in your whole life, and you begin to feel guilt and shame about those things, doubts you never imagined may begin to creep in. As the cynicism of this place, the spiritual apathy of this place settle in on you, you may begin to feel distance from God and wonder, does He really know me? Does He really care for me? And Luke wants you to know that you can be certain of what God thinks of you. 
It's really interesting what, what Luke starts this story with. He, he uses this phrase, what has been accomplished? I want to give you a narrative that has been compiled by others of the things that have been accomplished. And one of the things I love about working with students is all your accomplishments. There's a great group of folks every year, people that are very bright, very interesting, artistic, athletic. It's great. I love hearing about these things. But Luke here is primarily talking about Jesus and the Son of God in the flesh. Forgive me if it's hurt your feelings. Is is and was more accomplished than you. The most loving, most wise, most righteous person ever. He had a, he had a pretty cool bag of party tricks uh, that no one else could do, like walk on water, turn water into wine. Like you can't do that. He wins the most accomplished award hands down. Okay. And yet, something really curious Luke's doing with this word, because this word accomplished shows up three other times in this book. And every time he does, every time it's used, it's dark. In Luke chapter 12, it reads, uh, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it's accomplished. I don't know what that means necessarily. It sounds dark and foreboding. In Luke 18, taking the twelve aside, he said, See, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Also, foreboding. And then the most clear one right here. This is from the words of Jesus. Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. I've got a question for you. What do you know about Jesus' departure? Jesus' departure from earth, to put it in summary form, was uh, like this. He was unjustly tried, condemned, mocked, and put to death as a criminal. In what way do you consider that an accomplishment? Because that's the way Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about his upcoming death as an accomplishment. Something that had to be done. Some good work that needed to be done. How is it an accomplishment? And Luke takes, at the very beginning here, right here in the first verse, the entire life of Jesus and his death and says, it's an accomplishment. Here's what you need to know. Bring this all together and wrap it up. What Jesus did in his life and death was score a perfect 100. Complete total righteousness. Loved God, loved others with his whole heart, soul, and mind all the time. And with that righteous equity, he paid all the debts, all the transgressions, all the rebellions of his people fully with his own rich life. That's what he accomplished. And he did it for his people out of his love. That's what the Bible calls good news. And this is how... This is how you can know for certain what God thinks of you. Because His love for you is not based on your performance at Pitt this semester. It's not. I'll say it again. Your love is not based, His love is not based on your performance at Pitt this semester. Instead, it's based on the perfect accomplishments of His own Son. So I want you to go out there this year. This is as close to a pep rally as I can get. I want you to go out there this year and be excellent. I really do. I delight in your excellencies and your accomplishments. Go do those things. But I want you to know this. That the love of the Father is yours apart 
from your excellencies, apart from your accomplishments. And as you rest in His love, as you know His love, your life will change. You will have a peace that comes with knowing the Father. You will have a love for Him and for others that's different and new. And I want that to be yours. So I offer that to you in this map, the Gospel. And uh, I'm going to pray for you real quick. Great Father, thank you for the students and uh, the year ahead. And we thank you for this account in the Bible of the life and death of Jesus. Pray, Lord, that in the midst of all the things we accomplish, we would not lose sight of your greatness and your goodness and what you've done for us out of great love, Lord Jesus. Help these students to know your love, to know your work, and to rest in it. That they might have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the music guys are coming up. I'm going to mention one or two things real quick. I, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, we normally have a large group meeting.